So in the Bible, there are a lot of commands that are given, especially to God's people. But the command that is repeated the most, the most common command that you see in the Bible, although it appears in different forms, it can be summarized in two words. Fear not. Fear not. That's the most common command that you are going to see in the Bible. In other places, it might say, do not worry. Uh, don't be anxious. But it's all really the same thing. Fear not. And the fact that that is the most common command that is given to us, it tells us a lot about life. First of all, it tells us that life is not easy, that there's a lot to be afraid of. And that's why we are given this command to not fear. And I thought about this when I was young. Um, I was really scared when it was night, especially. I remember in first grade, one of my friends, I don't know how he came up with this story, but he told me there was a witch that lived in the neighborhood. And, and I really believed it. It was terrifying, right? And some of those Disney movies don't help when it comes to, like, like thinking about a witch. So at night, I would lay in my bed, and I, I, I had a bunk bed. I, I shared my room with my brother, and that didn't help because my brother wasn't that comforting to me. And so I would just lie in my bed. And every night, I will like, dream these nightmares about a witch trying to eat me and tr or chasing after me. And so I remember I was so terrified of going to sleep. But then when you hit puberty, when you become a teenager, you realize that there are a lot of things that are more scarier than monsters or witches. It's people. People are scarier than monsters or witches. Why? Because they can say some hurtful things. Teenage people, right? They, they look at one pimple, and they can destroy your life. One shirt is off, and they're going to bury you, right? Your, your reputation is ruined. And that's why, like, in the morning, you always check the mirror because you're thinking, okay, am I okay today? Am I going to be made fun today? Like, you're, you're constantly thinking, what do people think about me? How do they view me? You're always worried about these things because you know that people can be incredibly scary. And then you become an adult, and you realize that life in general is scary, that there's a lot of things that are unpredictable, that a lot of things that are out of your control. You thought when you became an adult, a lot of things that you'll be able to control, that you'll have a handle on. But the more and more you live, you realize there are not many things that you can actually have control over. Your relationships, your health, your marriage, your, your, your parenting, a lot of things you realize that those things are out of your control. So really the story of our life is there is a lot of stuff to, to fear. There are a lot of stuff to be afraid of, and I think that's why the Bible reminds us time and time again, do not be afraid. Fear not. You know, fear is something that the enemy uses really well to paralyze us, but we also know that fear is something that God uses to bring us closer to him because he's the one who casts out all fear with his love, and that's what Psalm 46 is really uh, about the structure is very simple. This is a song that was sang, uh, sung uh, among the choir. So publicly, this was a song that people would sing together. And it has three verses, three stanzas, if you kind of know poetry. And then there's one chorus that is repeated twice. And so that chorus is found in verse 7 and then verse 11. It says, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. That is the chorus of this song. And the word host, by the way, it doesn't mean someone who would host a party, a TV host, uh, not someone who's inviting people and taking care of people. It's talking about an army, 
a large group of people who are ready to go to battle. That's, that, that's what it means when it says host. And we also know the word fortress is also a military term. So when the psalmist is writing this song, he's thinking about a battlefield. He's thinking about a military situation. And in the midst of this battle, when he sees enemies coming towards him, he sees that, that things are falling apart, or, or, apart around him, he says, there is a place that is safe. There is a place that can comfort you, and that place is the Lord. So if you would summarize Psalm 46 in one sentence, it would be this. Here's the main idea. If God is your fortress, you don't have to be afraid. If God is your fortress, you do not have to be afraid. And here's why. The psalm gives us three reasons, and uh, conveniently, it comes from the three verses. So first thing is this. Why don't we have to be afraid if God is our fortress? Number one. God's protection gives us courage. God's protection gives us courage. Look at verse 1. It says this, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. So similar to the word fortress, the word refuge is a place that is safe. It's a place that is able to provide for you and protect you in the midst of danger Right? When you are in an open field, in the battle, you are exposed to all sorts of danger. But when you are in a refuge, a safe place, then you are kept uh, under the protection of that place. And throughout the book of Psalms, it's not just for Psalm 46, but throughout the book of Psalms, uh, the Bible was use words like refuge, fortress, shelter, hiding place to describe the nature of God. So it's talking about how in the midst of all life's trouble, in the midst of all that life throws at you, you have a place to run. God is our refuge and strength in the, and very pleasant help, present help in the midst of trouble. It says that he's not just someone who's with you in spirit, who's just cheering for you in heaven. It says he's right there. He's your very present help in the midst of trouble. Now, I went to seminary in Texas, and in our seminary, we had these places called tornado shelters. So uh, they'll be underneath the building, this, this kind of massive storage space that has food and water and supplies that you need. And why do you need that? You don't probably have that in Virginia, but you have that in Texas or Oklahoma. Why? Because there are real tornadoes. There are times when the weather gets really crazy, and I, I had a couple incidents when the school would send out a notice and we'd have to all gather uh, into that shelter to, to, because the weather was really, really bad. The windows can break easily, so uh, they were saying it's, it's not safe to be outside. The reason why you would have a tornado shelter is because there is real danger of a tornado. Uh, what God says is this, although there's this danger around you, that life has trouble and this trouble will hit you, you have a place that you can always run to, that you have a place that you can always hide, and that place is God. It says in verse 2, because God is our ever very present help in trouble, here's our response. It says, therefore, we will not fear. We will not fear. That's our response. Now, again, this does not mean that we live trouble-free. It simply means in the midst of trouble, we have a place to run to. And we know that because what comes next in verse 2, it says, Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. And so here we have a picture of really a natural disaster. Um, nature is, is 
all over the place right now. And if you think about it, one of the most stable things that you can see in life is a mountain. You know, my parents live in Korea, so from time to time, I would go back to Korea to visit them every couple of years. And they live in Seoul, a very busy city. So every time I go, I recognize that a lot has changed. Like buildings are different. There are new restaurants. Roads are different. Um, some, one time I went, like all the, the colors of the buses were different. So there's a lot of change that takes place within a city. But then you drive out to the mountains. You see the river. You go to the ocean and you see the sea. And you recognize that those things are just the same. Like they don't change. So mountains... See, those are symbols of things that do not change. But notice what's happening in this psalm. Those things that are unmovable, those things that are so stable and ever-present, it says the mountain is being thrown into the heart of the sea. It's talking about mountains being moved. Things that are steady and stable that were always there that you can bank on, those things are crumbling apart. And isn't this how life is? There are things in your life that you feel like these things are so stable, so steady, that I'll have, always have this job security maybe. I'll always have my family to back me up. I'll always have my parents to love on me, to provide for me. I'll always have my spouse there to, to really support me. But when you think about it, those things that you think will last forever, the security that is being provided for you temporarily in that time, those things can easily change in a moment. When you have a health issue, when you have a crisis, you know, just think about COVID and all, all, all the changes that COVID brought to our life. We thought life, would, life can be so steady and stable, but the truth is life is so unpredictable. But the good news is this, in the midst of mountains moving, the sea roaring, in the midst of the earth quaking, we see that there is a fortress that we can always run to, that we have a refuge, that God is the one thing that is constant in our life, and we can run to him. He is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. You know, uh, a couple days ago, I was having coffee with one of our church members, and, and this person asked me a question, uh, just knowing that I was here for about five-plus years, asked me the question, so, Pastor James, which, we, which year was the hardest? Right? <laughs> and I thought that was a good question. That was the first time I received that question. Which year was the hardest? And I thought back at that moment. I said, well, I think my hardest year is yet to come. Right? Because when I think about my first year, uh, there, was, there was a lot of changes. But, you know, still it was a blessing to be in a new setting, to meet new people. Second year, Timothy was born, and so it was pretty chaotic. But at the same time, right, uh, the joy of being a father and it was just great. And then um, in third year, there's a lot of changes in our staff. And still, that was, uh, that, that was, God was so faithful and, and providing. And so when I look back, I'm like, it's hard to pinpoint a year that was really difficult. And then I went back home and I shared that with my wife. And my wife told me, no, let me remind you of the years that you said, I just wanted to quit. <laughs> now I want to give up. And, and she specifically reminded me the time that we were renovating the youth lounge. Right, because uh, we had a missionary who is, is great in heart. He has the skill where he can renovate anywhere. The problem is that we didn't have a lot of helping hands at that time, and so and it was my idea to renovate the youth lounge. We said we need a bigger space for our youth, and because I brought up that idea, it was all on me and the youth staff, right? On on Pastor Joe and and, and the rest of the staff said, okay, if you guys want to renovate this place, that's fine. We'll 
give you the supplies, but, uh, but yeah, but you guys have to chip in. And, and I mean, we could have easily used other people, but it's the, uh, our missionary, he, he, is, he loves the church so much. And he's like, no, we're going to do this with our own hands. I'm like, okay, that's great. <laughs> and along with that, we're going to renovate the, the bathrooms, the, the toilets, right? And, and so I just remember each day, I didn't wear a nice suit. I, I wore, like, T-shirts that I knew I was going to throw away because I knew at the end of the day I was going to get dirty. Like, each day I was cutting tiles. If you have complaints about the tiles over there, just know that you complain because I cut the tiles, right? <laughs> but it was really, really difficult, physically demanding. It, it wasn't that I didn't like that work. It was just that on top of that, I had to preach every week, you know, lead a congregation. And so it was really, really difficult. And then I look back. But... It's not that bad. Like, at that moment, I was thinking, when will this end? Like, it's ongoing. When will I actually have some time to myself? But when I look back, I don't remember the hard times. It's like, man, every time I look at that space, it's, I'm so blessed that we were able to do that for our youth. And isn't that how life is? You imagine things in, in your future, and you say, I wonder what would happen if this happens in my life. I don't know how I'll, I'm going to respond to this. And that thing actually happens in your life. And you're devastated. You don't know what to do. And there are a lot of moments in my life, especially in my personal life and my ministry. And, I, and the first response that I gave when I heard the news is like, I have no idea how to handle that situation, God. But when I look back, for some reason, God gave me sufficient grace at that moment to endure each moment of my life so that I can look back and say, actually, <laughs> it wasn't that bad at the end of my life. And it's not because those times were not difficult. It's because God was ever present in those very moments, that he was my help in the midst of trouble. So God's protection gives us courage. It gives us courage. Number two, God's presence gives us joy. God's, God's presence gives us joy. This is where things get really, really good. It says in verse 4, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. And this is so interesting because we know that the city of God, it points to Jerusalem. That's how Jerusalem is named a lot in the Old Testament. But we also know if you've been to the city of Jerusalem, there is no river running in the middle of the city. Right? The closest river is the, the river of Jordan. And so what is this talking about there is no physical river yet the psalmist says there is a river whose streams make glad the city of god the holy habitation of the most high so what is this river it's explained in verse 5 it says this after talking about this river god is in the midst of her jerusalem the holy city she shall not be moved god will help her when morning dawns so what is this river it's God's presence. Although there is no physical river running in the city of Jerusalem, what God says is that city has an overflow of joy. It can be glad as long as there's the presence of the Lord among that city. As long as God's presence is dwelling in that city, that city will be glad. The river represents the presence of God. And this is so cool because this points us all the way back to Genesis 2 when God makes this beautiful garden called Eden, which in Hebrew means delight, pleasure. It's a place that is full of trees and fruits that are good for food and pleasing to the eye. Everything is so good. But in the midst of that garden, the Bible tells us there is one singular river that flows. And out of that river, it's, there's four rivers that spread out all through the land. And it gives the water source that the plants need. And so it gives life to the land. 
And what is that river? It's, it's a symbol of God's presence, again. Like the very fact that, that, that Eden was, uh, was almost a paradise is because God, his presence was fully filling that place. And here we see, again, God's presence, as long as it's in the city, even though there are enemies around the city, although there is danger, immediate danger around the city, there is joy, an overflow of gladness that we see in this city. So there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. So her, the holy people of God, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. And this is incredible because you think about the water that was mentioned earlier in verse 2 and 3, the seas. You think that that the sea should be stable. The sea is roaring. The sea is foaming. The sea is not steady at all, but you have a steady flow of river in the city of, 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 of God. And, and it tells you that in the midst of chaos, in the midst of destruction, in the midst of a battle, that you can have joy and gladness. It says in verse 6, the nations rage, the kingdoms tottered. He utters his voice. So it tells you the situation. The earth melts in the midst of battle, in the midst of chaos. God can bring joy. Again, it's not the absence of battle, but in the midst of battle, you have this source of life within you. And we know that this is an incredible promise because in John 4, when Jesus has this conversation with the Samaritan woman near the well, Jesus says, anyone who believes in me, they have this flowing river inside of them, these streams of water that come out that will support eternal life. And so we see ultimately God's presence. It goes from the Garden of Eden to the holy city all the way to the lives of the people. Like anyone who believes in Jesus, the Bible says that you have streams of water flowing out of you. And that's an incredible promise because that means if you are in Christ, you have this source of river inside of you. That you can have joy in the midst of your darkest times. You can have gladness in the midst of all the pressure that is mounting on top of you. God's presence, it gives us joy. The question is, are we drinking from that river? Are we using that river to find joy and gladness? The third thing that we see in this text is this. So if God is our, God is our, our, our fortress, we don't have to be afraid, first of all, because God's protection gives us courage, because God's presence gives us joy. And the third thing is God's power it gives us rest. God's power gives us rest. Look at verse 8. It says, come, behold the works of the Lord. And so now the psalmist is inviting the people to see something. What is it? How he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Now think about this picture. You have bows that are broken. You have spears that are scattered and shattered. You have chariots that are burned. What kind of picture is this? It, this is not a picture of, uh, uh, of what's happening in the middle of the battle. This is the end of the battle when all is finished. And, and the psalmist, the people, when they're singing, all they see is the enemy, the danger around them. And what God says is, come, look at the works of the Lord. What he sees is the victory. When God helps us, he's not fighting for us to give us victory. He's actually fighting from victory. 
He knows that his presence is enough. He knows that his protection is enough. He knows that his power is enough. Therefore, God says, I'm not fighting for victory. I know how this is all going to end. I'm fighting from victory. So see this. Look at all the nations. Look at how I end wars. Look at how everything is seized. Look at how the bows, the, the spears that were used to, to destroy you, look at how those are shattered and the chariots of fire, they're all broken. They're burning right in front of your eyes. And in response to that, this is what he says. Now he interrupts the psalm. He speaks in the first person. You see that in quotations in verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. In response to this, now that you see what's going to happen at the very end, now that you see that I'm going to be victorious at the very end, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Here's God speaking to, directly to his people. And a lot of times I think this, this, this phrase, be still and know that I'm, I'm God, that is one of the most loved, beloved uh, verses in all of Scripture. At the same time, it's one of the most misquoted Scriptures because a lot of times when we use that verse, we say, be still, know that I'm God, therefore we need to have quiet time. Therefore we need to read our Bible, we need to go in prayer, we need to turn off the radio, we need to turn off the TV, we need to let, let go of our phones, and we need to read our Bibles. And partially that's true. Obviously there's times when we need meditation, even when Jesus, he isolates himself to pray to be still in the quietness. But here, the word that is used still is not just be silent or be, be, be free from noise. That's not what it's saying. This should ring a bell in Mark 4 when Jesus is sleeping in a boat and his disciples are with him. There's this great storm that hits the boat and the disciples are panicking. They are so afraid to the point that they're looking at the teacher and they say, teacher, we're about to die and you're doing nothing. Right? And Jesus casually wakes up from his, his, his nap. And, and he says, be still. Be quiet. Stop. And the winds cease, the Bible says. And then he looks to the disciples, and what he says is, why are you so afraid? Have you still have no faith? So I think the word be still here, the better translation is stop. Stop it. It's like two children are fighting and you're like, hey, be still. Stop it. Hey, stop struggling. Stop wrestling. And in one sense, God is saying this to the enemy, just like Jesus said this to the, the wind that was raging. God is saying this to the enemy that's trying to destroy God's people. Be still. You're, you have no idea who you're coming against. When you are raging war against these people, you're raging war against me. And so in one sense, God is saying, stop it. Know that I'm the Lord. And then in another sense, we see that this is a word that's given to God's people because a lot of times God's people, although they know God, a lot of times they try to fight their own battles, right? That they're struggling on their own. They're coming up with all these ideas and, and plans to somehow live up to God's calling. And God is saying, hey, stop it. Stop struggling on your own. Like, Let's do this together. Be still and know that I'm the Lord. And that's kind of the scene that we see in Exodus 14, right? When, when Moses, he's leading God's people, and in front there is the, the Red Sea. And from the back, you have Pharaoh's army trying to destroy God's people. And, and people are panicking. What do we do? 
And Moses, he simply says, hey, be still. And he hits the, the, the ocean and it parts way. And they're able to walk through the Red Sea. And so in what way are we fighting our own battles? We know that we need to fight as a Christian. Uh, I think even, I was thinking about last week's sermon when we said, really, church, when we come to church, we're coming as a soldier, we have a secret mission. And after giving that sermon, I was, I was thinking about it, and not that it wasn't true, I think it was so true that we come to work for the Lord, we do the work of the ministry, we come because God gives us a specific mission to, to make his name known among the nations. But at the same time, when God gives that great commission, we always have to remember that at the very end, as he's giving a command, he gives a promise. As he's saying, go make disciples of all nations to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, to teach them all that I have commanded you, he's also saying, remember that I am with you to the end of the ages. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So the calling is not just something that we do on our own. It's something that we do with our commander-in-chief. Like, we are God's soldiers, but the victory depends on our obedience to our commander-in-chief, who is Jesus Christ. And if we lose sight of that, we will never, never win our battles. Also notice that to be still doesn't mean you don't do anything, you don't fight. No, you're still engaging in the battle. It's just not, you're not engaging in your own terms. Because a soldier, it's almost like a commander, as, as the soldiers are fighting, he recognizes that something is off. And so the commander is saying, hey, wait, 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 let's regroup. Be still, regroup, listen to me. And he's giving instructions, and once again, they're going out to the battlefield, regrouped with a new plan, and they're going into victory. So that's what God is calling us to do today. In the midst of all trouble, trouble, in the midst of all the pressure that's around us, maybe for you that pressure is coming from your family. Maybe for you that pressure is coming from your work. Maybe that pressure is coming within the church for you. Maybe that's coming from a relationship. Maybe that's coming from just anxiety and worries. But notice, in the midst of trouble, we have a God who is our fortress, who is our refuge and strength. He is our very pleasant help. In times of trouble, there is a river that flows within our hearts because it flowed first in the Garden of Eden the city and now it flows within us if we are in Christ and it brings incredible joy in the midst of all the danger around us we can have joy and peace and it not only gives us strength but it gives us direction because knowing that this battle does not belong to us God says be still and listen to me and so in what way is God inviting you to trust in him today do you really believe that God is your refuge and strength and your very present help in times of trouble. Because as people, we have a tendency to run to all sorts of things in times of trouble. What the Bible is telling us today is this. There's only one place that is safe, and that is in the hands of God. Jesus says in John 10, my sheep hear my voice, I know them. And they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. If you are in the presence of God, under his protection, in his fortress, there's nothing that can hinder you, that can take you out of his hand. Believe in him. Don't run away from him today. Run to him. Let's pray.